Hello and welcome to Success Story, the show that tells the very real and personal stories that merge chronic illness and sex. I'm your host, Heather DeKaiser, therapist, wife, and survivor of triple negative breast cancer. Each week on Success Story, you're going to hear from individuals and couples about how illness has affected their relationships and their sex lives. Not only do we talk about just how challenging these effects can be, but we're also going to talk about what the hell we can do about it. Listen along as stories of sexual challenge and tragedy become stories of success. Hey everyone, welcome to episode two of Success Story. I'm super excited about to- Babe, babe, we're almost out of white claws. Jared, I'm, I'm recording already. Oh, and in case your friends come over and want want some of that stuff. Anyway, super excited for episode two of Success Story. I'm so excited to have Jeremy on with me today, my husband, also known as Jer Bear, also known as Jerry Berry Bunches of Oats. Introduce yeah. yourself, babe. Uh, my name's Jeremy. I'm Heather's husband on a, on a daily basis. Yes, you are. And... I'm really excited to have him on today for episode two because last episode my sister Carissa joined me and we talked a lot about what it was like for me to get my breast cancer diagnosis. Today Jeremy and I want to talk about what it was like for us to get my breast cancer diagnosis a year ago and just the impact that it had on our relationship. And since I asked her what it was like to be doing this with me, I want to ask you the same thing, dear. What What's it like to be doing this with me? I'm super excited. I'd love to see you have uh, passion, something you're working on, like always. I think this is really important to get out there and to hear things from a relationship's point of view. And I know that you don't often do things like this. So I think that's even more special just for people to get to hear things from your point of view. You're not still talking about me drinking White Claws, are you? Well, you had to bring that up again. Oh, shoot. No, I'm, I, I really want people to know what it's, what it's like from finding out and what it's like from maybe each point of view throughout the whole process of dealing with in our case it was breast cancer mm -hmm. so we can we can speak to you about that today that's that's our experience i don't know what it's like for other chronic illnesses or other types of cancer but i would imagine it's very very similar in some way so well, it rocks your world. I mean, it changes everything going forward. I know a question that we often get asked is like, what was it like right after getting diagnosis or what was it like getting your diagnosis? And I don't know if we were asked each other, like what? No, you, you, sorry to interrupt you. You okay. I mean, you and Chris you, you talked about what you did afterwards. My friend Jessica was here visiting from Minnesota with her girls and, um, you texted me that you needed to chat, and uh, I, th I I knew right away that you had cancer. 
So I said goodbye to my friend and uh, came in and we, that's, that's where cancer started in our lives. So. Yeah. What were you thinking, like, towards me? Like, you mean, what, like, did I think that you were going to leave me or something? Well, that or, like, what, what, I, what, what I must be going through or what am I thinking? Or, how you know, what's the worst thing this is going to do for Jeremy, you know? Yeah. I did think about all that stuff. But honestly, no. My first thought was, huh, shocker. Just another way in which my life and that I'm broken. I mean, my female parts have failed me my entire life. You know all of this. Well, so well, it's like, oh, now my boobs are trying to kill me. This is not a stretch for my body. Broken is a word you've used quite often. Um, mm -hmm. Do you want to elaborate on what you mean by that? Mm, yeah, I suppose that'd be helpful. Um, yeah, so one thing that a lot of people do not know about Jeremy and my relationship, me specifically, is that from when I first started having sex, I was diagnosed with a chronic pain issue chronic vulvar pain is what it's called because they literally can't doctors can't figure out what's wrong but basically what it means is i cannot have pain-free sex and so yes getting a cancer diagnosis sucked and that wasn't the first like thing about our relationship in which we've had to like go through something tough or something with chronic pain or illness like We've been kind of building our relationship and going through stuff like that for the last like decade. So fast forward then to a year ago, getting that cancer diagnosis. I mean, I've, you know, felt broken from the very beginning. Three weeks into our relationship, I told you, hey, I've got this pain issue. Um, pretty much every guy I've ever been with has had an issue with it. They, you know, cheated on you. Yeah. Or, you know, we're going to leave at some point or again, just struggled with it in some regard. And it was really hard for me. And you probably were going to at some point too. And what did you say? Oh, I was good with it. Um, I, I guess I was just wondering if that still meant that I got to see you without your clothes on. So no, it was something that I thought maybe we could, uh, work on together over time. I know you like to make the joke that you would pay big money just to be within 100 feet of me. Yeah, I would. Kind of like staring at you creepily. You did that a lot. Yeah, I still do. Yeah. Um, no, but talking about that, it's a, it's something that we've both had to compromise on. So I, as far as like future episodes and things, we already had had made compromises that loving compromises to the thoughtless and selfless compromises to still be able to be sexual with one another, but maybe not just in that way. And I, I'm happy that I have a relationship that's not based solely on bang, bang, bang. So yeah, I, I think we've got, uh, other than our first year of marriage, because I said a whole bunch of really dumb stuff all the time. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
yeah, I think I think we're closer. Well, we were doing so good in that department right before cancer last year. Like, yeah. you know, January 2020, your dad had passed away and that sucked. And then in February, like my dad went through his health issues and needed surgery and that sucked. And then COVID hit and then I was working from home and I was killing the domestic shit. I was cleaning the house. I was cooking. I was baking. We were building forts and making s'mores and I was spilling wine all over said fort. I wasn't getting to take half an hour breaks with um, root beer floats and watch TV. Uh, no 20 minute naps um, existed anymore. Not, not that I would do that. I'm just... N never. No. Yeah, you were doing... We were actually doing good. Like, we've gotten... We got to a point where I was still busy. You were busy from home. And thank God we live in the middle of nowhere. So... Yeah, things were going really well. And then... Hallie jumped on my lap and pawed my breast. And things just, you know, progressed from there. And I know that there was a period of time when we were kind of even wondering. Wondering if we should even go get it looked at. Right. And we eventually said, like, yeah, let's let's get it looked at. And I did. And then went and had the mammogram and ultrasound, went and had it biopsied. And the next day, we got that diagnosis. I mean, I had already talked to the doctor that day, but what was going through your head then? Were, was this going to kill you? How serious was it? And what could I do to help? And then Carissa and Clyde came. Mm-hmm. And then they left. Yep. And then the rest of that weekend, it was just you and me. I remember that being a hard weekend. I avoid everything, so I'm not... I don't have a lot of memory of that weekend. A lot of me shutting up and just hugging you, I guess. Yeah. Remember we'd watch that show, The Good Doctor? Oh, Jesus. Yes. By the way, if you're ever going to have surgery done, don't have those people do it. Because somebody crashes in every freaking surgery in that show. <laughs> but they always get him through. Yeah. I don't think they lost one. Hmm. It did seem like every episode, though, especially after my diagnosis had to do with cancer or illness. Like every single one. Yeah, it's like nobody's notices a, I don't know, orange Volkswagen Beetle until they own one. Yeah. But then at the end of the episode, like we'd turn off the TV because it's bedtime. Mm -hmm. And then you'd look over at me and I'd be crying. And then you'd crawl over to me because we'd be sitting in our rocking chairs and you'd lay your head in my lap, and either you'd cry too or you wouldn't, but I don't even know how long we'd just sit there most nights. It was easier to start getting more information about it. Um, I don't remember exactly when, but the first feeling of joy was hearing that we caught it really early. I mean, that was something that really took a lot of pressure off me in my head. Yeah, till we had that 
the MRI because the first scans were like one centimeter. Then it was like, oh, it's actually a little over two centimeters. And then I had my MRI and we found out it was actually over five centimeters. Oh, it was that you had triple negative cancer and there was a very good likeliness that you had that BRCA gene mutation thing. The BRCA gene mutation. It, it's like every time you had to get information, you would expect to get it on a Friday and hmm. you'd get it Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And those weekends were just deadly. Like just like so hard. In fact, that one about the mutation, that weekend, I think it was, they told you they'd call you on Thursday? Yeah, because I had the genetic test done on Wednesday. Yep. And she said, I will have the results for you, and I will give you a call either tomorrow or Friday. And for people that don't know what that is, there's a common gene mutation that it's the breast cancer gene mutation, which tells you it's like if you hear about women who have preventive mastectomies, that's when they had the gene mutation. And so it's kind of like having it's a matter of when you'll get cancer, not if. And so I had that genetic test done because being 33 with triple negative, my surgeon was about 99% sure that my genetic test was going to come back positive, meaning that would tell us why I was 33 years old with triple negative. That weekend was one of the hardest weekends, I think, throughout the whole process I had. Because we just didn't know. And you know me, I just keep getting louder. Yeah, you were angry. It's just a phone call. Anyhow... But you didn't have it. Yeah. And then we go in to see my surgeon and my oncologist and they're like, yeah, so the good news is you don't have this gene mutation. So you don't also need to get your ovaries and everything else removed. However, now we will never be able to tell you why you're 33 years old and have triple negative breast cancer, which at that point it's like, Okay, well, but, you know, now what's the fighting plan? And then I had my sentinel lymph node surgery, which they took out a bunch of lymph nodes and tested them to see if the cancer had spread. And that was another surgery because I had my port put in, mm -hmm. remember? And since my cancer was so big, it was like, well, you have to have chemo first. Like my surgeon said, she wouldn't even touch me with a 10-foot pole until I had six months of chemo to see like how my tumor would respond to it because my specific tumor was so close to my chest wall. Do you remember this part? Mm -hmm. Where if I, even if I had had surgery first, I would not have then been a good candidate for reconstruction because they would not have had a chest wall to anchor the implants to. Right. They would have had to take way too much because my tumor was so big. So she's like, you have to do chemo first. You're going to start next week. In a couple of days, you're going to have your lymph node surgery. We'll see if it's spread. And that's why I wasn't approved even after we found out that it had not spread to the lymph nodes yet. Um, I was not approved for lymphatic massage 
because they said with such a big tumor, there's too big of a chance that it has broken off and gone elsewhere. We just can't see it with the scans yet. So you can't get massage or acupuncture or anything that might massage cancer cells out into your body. Ups and downs and ups and downs. Yeah. But how sick did you feel this whole time? You hadn't had chemo yet. Nope. Did, Did you feel sick? No, I didn't feel sick. The only thing that I felt was like really sore. Like my boob had been so poked and prodded. And I mean, it was one giant bruise from like my underarm all the way to the edge of my right breast at the time that, I mean, by then, like that part of the pain had started. Yeah. And like my port then area was super sore and that got really bruised and um, that sucked. But it was like, no, I mean... Well, I mean, emotionally, I guess I was really struggling just because it all still felt really surreal. And you and I were just sitting here like, is this really happening? Or are we going to wake up and this is all going to be a dream? Yeah. And then my parents got here. Remember we were talking about like, should my parents even come? Maybe we should just try to do this on our own. And we had those conversations. I don't know, did we even really talk about whether or not my parents should come and, like, help us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, they had just been here for, like, what, five months because my dad got sick while he was out here, and so they had to stay an extra two months because of that. Then they went home for three months, and then, boom, I got diagnosed. I think I didn't... I thought maybe for emotional support to be here. Yeah. Um, I had an overall sense, I guess, of positivity, hopefulness. Um, you didn't have the, the gene, um, it, it hadn't traveled that you were going to get some treatment. And and the, the thing, I guess the unknown thing there was, I had no idea what we were in for. I was hopeful through that whole time that it wasn't going to be that bad. Yeah. So. I mean, I think overall that it was really positive. My parents came and helped. I couldn't, we couldn't have done it without them. There's no way. Especially with me having chemo every single week. And just, I mean, I got sicker and sick. I mean, the I made the first handful of chemos like, Okay. I remember going through the first one and I had it on Tuesday and I was there for eight hours and I was like, oh, this is going to kind of be a bitch, right? But I didn't feel anything. I think I kept thinking I was going to feel something. Yeah. And then remember I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to work the next day. So I woke up on Wednesday and everyone's like staring at me like, how, how do you feel? Are you sick? And I'm like, I'm good. Like, I don't feel any different. I'm good. And I went to work and I worked a full day and it was fine. And I came home and everyone's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm good. I, I still feel all right. And, you know, I think I just thought. Well, and you hear stories. Yes, exactly. That, that chemo is just not that hard on some people. But, and really hard on others. But what we didn't know was you were getting probably the harshest chemo they give, period you're getting the hardest regimen that they give because of your age and triple negative cancer being the most aggressive cancer. For young women for breast cancer, yeah. yeah. And 
Then I woke up Thursday and I was like, nope, I'm still good Thursday too. And my hair hasn't started falling out yet. So remember I worked a full day and it was my dad's birthday. And then I literally made it to my last session. I got done at seven and on my way home, I just started crying because it literally felt like I hit a truck. Like literally. I remember I came home and I went in the closet and I just cried. And I don't remember which one came in first. You or mom? I think it was you. And I was like, everything hurts. I can't explain it. It just, everything hurts. And I was like, this is the start. And then, you know, it was like, okay, well, maybe I just overdid it because I worked really hard the last two days. And I was like, I got 15 more to go. We had optimism. Yeah. But but that went away immediately. Mm Mm-hmm. And I had a few bad days, right? But then they went away and then, you know, I had like two good days and then Tuesday morning I woke up and I did it all over again. Yeah. I took a deep breath. What do you mean? Emotionally. Because you want to be strong. So I took a deep breath, then cowboyed up and did my best to be strong. You did a really good job, babe. Your parents helped immensely, Um, but I watched you just get sicker and sicker, and it reminded me of when we first went for your chemo, the people that would come out frail, Mm. and I realized you were going to have to be to that point before you came back, Mm. and it's super hard to not be able to help take the pain away Mm -hmm. another thing a lot of people don't know is you don't get to take advil or which is ibuprofen or tylenol you don't get to take a leave um because all of those drugs are pushing every organ inside of you to its limit it doesn't can't take any extra stress Mm -hmm. so The pain is, there's very little that you can take for it. The migraines were really, they got really bad. And I didn't know why they were happening. And I mean, I remember thinking like, oh, I'm going to get really nauseous. Well, then the nausea really wasn't too bad. I mean, I had moments where like certain smells and foods and stuff like that just weren't appealing but, and I thought, oh, digestively is not, you know, is going to suck. But other than that one time when, like, week three of chemo, when you had to, like, go 80 down the driveway because I literally thought I was going to shit myself. Mm-hmm. That was, like, kind of few and far between for mm-hmm. me. But it was the pain. I was not prepared for the amounts of physical pain. Like people always ask like, what were you prepared for? What were you not prepared for? I was like, well, I was prepared for all the things that didn't happen. I was not prepared for all the things that did. Right. And so when your doctor says like your diagnosis is very unique to you and just because something happened to somebody else during treatment does not mean it's going to happen to you is extremely true like you don't know how you're going to respond to the drugs and treatments until like your body starts responding to them but 
I thought, you know, CBD and weed, like I'll be able to take that stuff. But then I couldn't even take, not only could I not take payments, but I couldn't even take CBD because it was interacting with the taxol and the carboplatin and making my liver numbers be really, really bad. And livers where chemos gets processed. So I can't have my liver, liver fail. It was already failing. And so it's like, okay, the one thing that I could do for pain just got taken away because my liver's already showing damage. And I just remember Mikhail looking at me and she's like, I just need you to hold on. Like, I just need you to survive these next several weeks because I cannot reduce your dose. Like reducing your chemo dose is not an option. So I just need you to make it. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Okay. Yep. You're right. I'll just make it. Well, if you could bottle up all the work ethic in World War II, your family is a concentrated version of that. So, I mean, you know how to put your one foot in front of the other if you're in pain. Your office was just 86 degrees the other day and you still worked a full day. I mean, that's you. And I think that, I think a lot of times, you know, people wishing well are saying, you know, you're a fighter, you're strong, you're, I don't think I could have done it as well as you did. You didn't complain much. I feel like I did. You didn't. You didn't. I think that, I think that literally like other than watching you get sicker and knowing there's nothing we could do about it, we did get our own language together though that mm. you would let me know that you really were okay and and that I could go outside and work or I could go do something because otherwise it was just hovering over you the whole time. Yes. And I thought that was, that's noteworthy to bring up. That's something I haven't even thought about since then, but. Maybe for, you could say a little bit more about that. Well. For people who are probably going through the same thing and they're like, not sure is my spouse okay? Are they just saying they're okay? Like, how do you communicate with each other on the better days versus the tougher days? And how do you stay in the moment? And how do you respond to one another? And like, really listen to each other rather than just getting in your own head about stuff? Well, that the communication part in person is, is it happens automatically. But I know for me, I wanted to make sure that you were okay all the time. So, um, and I would feel selfish if I went outside to get something done. And I know that that was hard to communicate that we had to do a little digging, but we got it figured out. So I just, I just think if, uh, if you're the caretaker, um, you have to also take care of yourself. And if you're the patient, um, it's good to let the caretaker know when you're doing okay. You know, you got an ice cream bar, feed her up, favorite shows on TV. You're not cold. You're not hot. You're good for a while. Let's communicate that to each other. I want to, I want to say like the scariest part of that whole time was like when I had to help you shower and you had to get a blood transfusion. Mm, yeah, I've been getting a lot of questions about that since I put that in my intro to the podcast. People have been asking a lot about that. Just 
like what was going through Jeremy's head and the fact that we hadn't talked about that until very, very recently and just what that day meant to both of us and how I was very insecure about it and like, <laughs> my husband's bathing me on our anniversary. Like, that's, you know, humbling and... And I loved it because I was closer to you than I ever had been. And I could like barely stand up. I literally had enough energy to get out of the shower and immediately sit down for, I don't even know how long I was sitting there. I couldn't even dry off. And I cried and I was really sad. And you still fought going into the hospital for a while. Like a couple hours. I don't know. I just assumed that like I have cancer and chemo and... I just finished 12 weekly treatments. I guess I just assumed it was supposed to be bad. Right. Until my nurses were like, you're 33 and you can't bathe yourself. That's probably a problem. You should not let it get that bad. Can you get here as fast as possible? Well, I'll work on it for next time. But then the blood transfusion, they're like, you'll feel better by tonight. And like a day later, I'm like... Am I supposed to still feel this crappy? Right. Like, like, I'm okay, but, like... How long did it take to kick in? Two, three days. Well, you took me to Lake Dillon, remember? And we were walking around the lake, and yep. I, like, had a hard time getting back up the hill to the condo. Yep. That's right. It was real pretty, though. Yeah, we had a really good weekend. I got to eat s'mores. That's true. You did. And then you had to walk me down to the car because my back seized up. In the middle of the cute little wine bar. Anyway, no, that was a really good getaway. And that was also a tough time, though, because my parents had gone back to Green Bay. And that those three weeks, like, you and I were on our own. Mm -hmm. And that's when we looked at each other and were like, how do people with kids do this? Oh, I have no idea. I, I have no idea. So... I could barely even make it out of my rocking chair to let the dogs outside while you were at work. Right. Exactly. And there's, like, just like every cancer is different for every person, there's got to be a ton of families out there that are going through this that you and I have absolutely no idea what that's like. Right. Um, but one thing that I think we pretty much said no matter what was there's people out there that have it worse mm-hmm. and I think that's the thing that kept us strong strong how just kept us going there's people out there that have it worse but then the you know, the bad chemo started well I remember the neuropathy was a tough time oh, yeah. because You had to start helping me bathe because I could no longer put my hands in the water Mm -hmm. because it hurt too bad. Right. Like you drew baths for me almost every night and we all know how much I detest baths. But you'd have to help me get in and you'd have to help me get out and you'd run them for me every night. You'd make sure I had my towel and you'd put my bath bombs in there and my bubble bath and... Um, you'd sit in there and we had some pretty good conversations in there though. Like we found our moments to spend together despite 
the bad crap. Like we were advised not to sleep in the same bed on my nights after chemo because I was considered toxic to you and I was having such bad hot flashes and sweating completely through four sets of clothes every night, through multiple sets of sheets. Remember that? We were mm-hmm. like, I was toxic to you if that were to get into your skin. So we were advised not to use the same bathroom, not to sleep in the same bed. So at night you would run my bath and then you would sit in the bathroom and talk to me while I would sit there. And then during the neuropathy, when my fingers hurt really bad and I couldn't like put them beneath the water, like you had to bathe me those nights or mm-hmm. like help me. And I'd like do it really, really fast. Yep. And then you'd have to help towel me off because it hurt to like grip the towel and you'd have to open my water bottles. And, but on those nights when we didn't sleep together, that was tough because the other bedrooms in our house are all downstairs, the masters upstairs. And so I know that we tried walkie talkies for a while, but they wouldn't stay turned on and I couldn't always push the button to turn them back on, like if mine turned off during mm-hmm. the night. So I don't think we even really use those much. No. But I know that was a difficult time. But I feel like we found our moments to spend together and still like try to not always be patient caretaker. But also still, like, still be husband and wife. I think... Right. We hear we heard that from a lot of people we talked to. Yeah. They had a hard time like still finding husband and wife moments, but they kind of fell into that patient caretaker kind of mentality. I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts about that? I think we flowed we flowed through that pretty well. You do? Yeah. What do you feel like you were really prepared for versus not prepared for when it came to watching me get sick or just like getting through chemo and then knowing we still had surgery and radiation to get through. Well, the, the day you rang your bell was good. That, that meant the chemo was over. That was the first hurdle. But watching you get sick was hard. Um, telling you genuinely every day that you're still beautiful was real and very hard for you to believe. But yeah, there weren't many moments that I felt beautiful. I know you called me sexy a lot. You kissed my head and say like bald, you're bald and cute as fuck. And I was like, you're lying. And no, you were, you're my person. That's why. Yeah. But what are you going to say? Like, (laughs) no, that one day. Yeah. You really like, eh, you know, Hmm. Nope. You're crafty. No, it's, uh, it's just got to be hard. I mean, for a woman to have her sexuality taken away, you know, everything that that makes you feel a woman, you know, it's just gone. Your hair's gone. Eyebrows are gone. Eyelashes aren't filtering stuff coming to your eyes. How could we ever forget, like, the first time we shaved your head? I mean, that's going to be burning our memory forever. What was going through your brain? Oh, gosh. That was kind of the first point in my cancer treatment where it was really, really hitting me just how much of myself was changing 
because of cancer treatment. Like I didn't feel too crappy at that point yet, but I had never had to deal with short hair. Right. So when mom started buzzing it, and I know we filmed it, and I put it in the intro video, but I just kind of started losing it, and you came over immediately and held my hand, and that was just kind of a lifeline I needed to get through it. But do you remember when I got up and you guys were like, oh, it looks so cute. And I'm like, okay, maybe I can do this. And then I looked in the mirror and I was like, what the fuck? And every day since then, last August, it's just been a daily reminder. I mean, I have some days where I'm like, yeah, I look good. And most days it's just, it's really tough. And, you know, honestly, like, there have been a lot of tough moments, like a lot of just punch in the gut, slap in the face, tough moments and experiences that made this get harder and harder. But I mean, if you think about it, we've also had some good moments, right? Some really good experiences and meeting some cool people along the way. I know that's been important for you. Yeah, having other couples to talk to that were going through it was important. I also thought it was as as much as you can say it was bad having your parents here, we uh, we still had laughs every week. Oh yeah. We still had good chats and good laughs. Um, yeah, I, I I think one of the most impactful things I can tell others is if you know someone going through this, reach out. Yes. There were very few people that reached out and texted me out of the blue because of the social media world we live in, people mm-hmm. get, I understand too, that people get very nervous or not sure what to say, but literally just, hey, how are you doing? Was big. So for all of you that you know who you are, thank you. Yeah, people checking in was huge. Even if they said like, hey, I, I don't know what to say. I just know that I'm thinking about you. Yeah. Huge. Huge. Because you don't want to reach out. I didn't want to reach out to anyone and bring them down. Mm. So I isolated myself quite a bit. Yeah. And I think you and I kind of have that mentality of like, well, this is our battle. We just got to kind of put our heads down and go. And we do have my parents here to help us and... We, you know, have certain people that will will give us something if we ask for it. But I do think that if if you know of people who are struggling, just know that they probably don't want to reach out and ask for help, that that's probably a really vulnerable, raw thing to do. And so even just saying, hey, do you have groceries for the week? Is there anything I can stop and get for you? I got to go to the store anyway. Or, hey, I got too many of this this week. Can I drop one off for you? Or, hey, I know you don't know what you're going to be in the mood for, but here's a gift card. That way you can use it on anything you want. Um, Because, you know, sometimes people make you a meal with the best of intentions, but then it's like, that's the last thing I want to eat during that week. Because you don't know day to day what you're going to be in the mood for or what you're not. You know, the rest of your family's got to eat too and everything. So that's important too. But I definitely would say that 
people reaching out and saying, I'm thinking about you. That alone just meant the world to yeah, us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had I had some deep conversations previous to this. A friend that I know lost his mother. Mm. And after a couple of weeks, his friends were ready to be done with it. Mm. And he's still suffering. And so it's uh, it's tough. But just reaching out and saying, I'm thinking about you, if someone is grieving the loss of someone or they're sick, it really means a lot. So, yeah. So there was positive things too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for all the shitty stuff, there's definitely blessings and lessons learned and opportunities to be had. And, you know, like we said in the very beginning, our marriage in particular is closer than ever. And do we still have ups and downs? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, Some days I just want to lay in bed versus other days I want to go to the store and, you know, buy anything and everything and make sure that I cook 17 meals that week. And, you know, you have different priorities and we're trying to find our new normal, right? I once killed a clothes hamper. What? Nothing. No, please go on. No, I smashed a clothes hamper. Felt like it had a lot of life left to give. Well, <laughs> you never told me this. Yeah, I was really mad, so I just smashed the clothes hamper to death. Man, it must have really deserved it. No. No, it didn't. <laughs> I think this is the point in time where we can uh, say, Hey, babe, why don't you go have some more White Claw? I mean, if I drank it, but... I think I'm going to go buff a vehicle now. So. You, you don't drink White Claw? It's it's okay. Every once in a while, yeah. I mean, just in case. Yeah. Uh, or maybe I'll, I'll go get you some more. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening to episode two of Success Story. It's been really awesome having Jer Bear on with me. He's already said that he'll definitely do more in the future coming up here. Um, We'd like to get episodes posted a little bit more often than every couple of weeks, but as life happens, we'll have to see how things go and everything like that. But we hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode, that you were able to get to know us as a couple a little bit better anyway, and just hear a little bit more about some specifics of our story and my cancer journey and the journey that we took together. And just for us specifically, every story is different, but that we very much focused on intimacy and our relationship and our marriage as we were going through this and just making sure that we stayed close, that we had a support system, and that we were able to keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep talking about things as they happened. So obviously that's always a work in progress. And now we just have more parts of each other to get to know, I feel like, as we're healing and continuing on with life. And I think that's all really, really good. And I know that I love you and am more in love with you than ever because you're my person. Mm, I love you more, Infinity Squared. You're my person. Shit, that means you win. You Mm -hmm. got that in there. You did that on purpose. Anyway, okay, thank you again for listening to episode two of Success Story and stay tuned for our next one. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, guys. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Success Story. We all know someone or are that someone who has been affected sexually because of illness and treatment. In the coming episodes, you will learn that there are ways to overcome and deal with these effects and still experience a life full of sexiness. Stay tuned for our next episode. And until then, keep creating your own success story.